Well, good morning, MCC family. Hey, my name is Eric. Uh, I'm the student pastor here at MCC, so I get the pleasure of hanging out with our 6th through 12th graders, and I'm pumped that I get to continue our series Field Notes today that Mike kicked off last week. And in preparation for this series, uh, I really began to do some reflection on my life. You see, I've been uh, involved in ministry in some way, shape, or another since I was 18 years old, and that's almost a decade of my life at this point. See, right at 18 years old, I began serving in intern capacities for either a parachurch organization and I was in Bible college. And over the four years of college that I was in, I, was, I got taught really well how to accomplish the task of ministry, how to accomplish the task of ministry and what it really meant to study the Bible. But in that process, there began to be this tension in my heart this thing that I began to wrestle with of what is a disciple. Because I had all of these friends in Bible college and church circles all talking about this idea of discipleship, yet I didn't feel like I truly understood what it meant. And as somebody who was starting his first real ministry job uh, as he was graduating Bible college, that terrified me and frustrated me because I really wanted a good understanding of discipleship. And as I kept digging and searching and trying to find an answer on my own, I realized I just didn't know. And I didn't know where to look. And so as I do when I often can't find the answers, I try to call somebody who's a little bit ahead of me to see what they might know. And I called a buddy of mine up whose name is Stu, and I met up with Stu for coffee one afternoon. And in our conversation about discipleship, Stu said these words to me. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus. And I was invited into a year-long process of going to Frisch's Big Boy every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. to eat that breakfast buffet and talk about discipleship. And that was my life for a year. And as I walked through this process over a year, I began to uncover what it truly meant to be a disciple maker. And I became radically sold out to this idea of being a disciple who makes disciples. And if you haven't caught on yet, that's what we're all about here at MCC. We've talked about discipleship a lot this year because it is the crux of everything we do. We as a church are disciples who make disciples. And last week, Mike really dug into this series and, and kicked us off by talking about our definition of a disciple which means to follow, it's a disciple somebody who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. And he reminded us to live on mission means that I will invite others to follow Jesus with me. And this morning, we're going to take that idea one step further. We're going to take that idea that I invite others to live with, or I invite others to follow Jesus with me, by figuring out what it means to live invitationally. Because we must live invitationally if we are to be disciple makers. If we are to be the kind of people who follow Jesus, are being changed by Jesus, and committed to his mission, then we are to invite as many people as possible into this life-changing story of transformation, into this opportunity for them to hear about a God 
who can not only wipe away their sins, but change their story for eternity. And it's in that that you and I will be sitting in this morning. That question or that invitation to follow me as I follow Jesus. And truly what it means to be a disciple maker. But if we're honest with ourselves, every time we talk about this idea of living invitationally, some fears and common questions start to crop up. And it's funny because as a student pastor, I hear these fears from students a lot, but I know they're the same fears that every adult struggles with as well when we begin to process through discipleship. These fears of, well, how do I do it? Am I actually qualified to disciple somebody and invite them into the story? How do I do it without being weird? I don't want to be that weird church guy. What if I get rejected? I want people to like me. I don't want to be like, you know, excluded from things. What do I even say to somebody? How do I even invite them into this thing? What does that look like? And all of these questions and the fears they are rooted in are incredibly valid. And I'm sure that if we were to gather together in groups in this room today, we could probably brainstorm some great ideas on how to do that without being weird or awkward and what it actually means to be a disciple maker. But today, we're going to take a step back and we're going to take a look at the story found in Luke 19 and we're going to place ourselves at the feet of the Master Jesus himself as we uncover what it looks like to be a disciple maker. But before we do that, I'm going to pray before we dive into Scripture, so pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning simply wanting to learn from you, simply wanting to read your word about the story of you interacting with Zacchaeus and figure out what that means for us to live invitationally. And so, Lord, I ask that as we continue into the story, that you open our hearts for what you might have to say to us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. In Luke 19, the first four verses, it says this. He, Jesus, entered into Jericho as he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. We're going to take a second and we're going to pause and we're going to fully grasp the context of the story. Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And when he enters into Jerusalem, that will be the final week of his life. So these are some of the last days of Jesus as he interacts with this guy named Zacchaeus. And this guy named Zacchaeus is said to be the chief tax collector and rich. Now, if you've remembered us talking about tax collectors before, you know that they earned their money from stealing from others. If your taxes were $300, they'd charge you $500 and pocket that extra $200. That's how they made their money. That's how they kept their stature. It's how they afforded a lavish and luxurious lifestyle. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, meaning he was in charge of every other tax collector in his area. And so as Zacchaeus is in charge of every other tax collector in his area, and he's very rich, anybody who wasn't a tax collector would have despised this man. They would have hated him. They would have not enjoyed to interact with him at all. 
Because to them, Zacchaeus was an oppressor. Not only was he an oppressor, but he was like, he was the head oppressor. Like, he was the guy in charge of all the other tax collectors. I don't want to hang out with that dude at parties at all. What a jerk. But Zacchaeus, despite his sin in his life, and despite where his story had placed him in that moment, felt this nudge to investigate this rabbi, this teacher, who had been going around performing miracles, who had been saying extravagant and uh, great claims. And so when he heard that Jesus is passing through, he can't help but climb up into a sycamore tree so that he might catch a glimpse of this guy and figure out what is actually going on. Who is this Jesus guy really? And it's in that context that we continue reading. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest in the house of a man who is a sinner. And so as Jesus is walking by in the midst of this large crowd, like people are pressing in on him, he looks up, he doesn't look at anyone else in the crowd, of which there were tons, but instead he looks up and he says, hey Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay with you today. Zacchaeus, I'm going to hang out with you today. Out of any person Jesus could have picked in the crowd, he picks Zacchaeus. And this moment teaches us something about the first step for us to live invitationally. For us to live invitationally and for us to live on mission, we take a page out of Jesus's book and we step into someone else's story. I live on mission and you live on mission when we are willing to step into someone else's story. Now, this doesn't have to be weird and it doesn't have to be awkward. For Jesus, while it was staying at Zacchaeus' house, for you and I, it can be much simpler. It could start with inviting somebody out for a cup of coffee. It can start with inviting someone over to your home for dinner. It can start by inviting somebody over for a game night. For me, one way that this has happened uh, over the past two years now is a weekly Dungeons and Dragons game night. I'm a nerd, so every Thursday night I get together with a group of friends, we roll dice, and we do math calculations to see if we're going to defeat a monster. It's how I, it's how I live my life, man. And so, <laughs> but for the past two years, I've been hanging out with this, this group of people, of which there are two people who have joined us who have a strained relationship with church, or have a strained relationship with religion. It's this married couple. But because of the relationship we've been able to build over the past two years, they've started to dip their toes in the water. They've come to a church service once. They brought their kids to the VBS pool party. They're starting to see that maybe Jesus people aren't the ones that they've interacted with before, that maybe there is a different way to live. And it started by being nerds on a Thursday evening. Like, that's how it started for this. And I pray for them weekly because I hope that their story comes to be transformed by this guy named Jesus. And I hope that my life can be a window into that. But that story doesn't happen if I don't step into their story and I don't understand what happened to them in their past. 
if I don't understand their hurt and their pain and their frustrations and their hang-ups. For us to live invitationally, we must take the first step by stepping into someone else's story. And it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. And you don't have to have the right words to say. It can simply start around a dinner table. But that's not the only lesson we learn from these few verses here. There's actually one more lesson we learn from these few verses. And it starts in verse 7. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus steps in and interacts with the story of somebody who everyone else didn't like, who everyone else would have wanted nothing to do with. Zacchaeus is a jerk, remember? Like, we don't want to hang out with jerks, right? Like, I don't want to associate with any of those kind of people. But Jesus willingly steps into his story. And what this moment teaches us is that I live invitationally or I live on mission when everyone gets a seat at the table. Let me say that again. I live on mission when everyone gets a seat at the table. Not just the people I like, but the people I don't like. Not just the people who think like me, but the people who don't think like me. Not just the people who act like me, but the people who don't act like me. Everyone gets a seat at the table. The kingdom of God is big enough and the love of God is wide enough that no matter the story, their past or present, they are invited into this life-changing story of grace. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. All are invited into this story no matter their past, no matter their present, no matter if I like them or don't. Every person is given this chance of grace. And that is a high call for you and me, church. That means for us to truly live invitationally. We can't be exclusionary. We can't cast people aside. Even if we don't agree with them, we still have to welcome them in as an opportunity to tell them about this guy named Jesus who can radically change everything. I love the way James puts it. He says this. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you see to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. However, if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I am so incredibly thankful 
that I serve a God who doesn't play favorites. Because if I served a God who played favorites, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get a seat at the table most days. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be invited to the party. If I served a God who played favorites, I don't think Jesus would come and stay at my house. But thankfully, we don't. Thankfully, we have a God who meets the poor and the dirt and the rich and the sycamore tree and invites them all into the same story of life-changing radical forgiveness to step in to a new life and potentially become disciples who make disciples if they are willing to put their trust in him. Thankfully, that is the God that you and I serve. We serve a God who says, everyone gets a seat at the table if they believe in me. Everyone gets the opportunity to experience life-changing forgiveness. But that life-changing forgiveness simply starts with just an invitation. I remember uh, I was in third grade when we started coming to this church a long time ago. And as a third grader, uh, I didn't want to be here. I wanted nothing to do with church, but I only had to come on Wednesday nights because that was the only time uh, my dad wasn't home to watch me. And so I remember every Wednesday night, my mom would drag me and my three, sis- three sisters and brother to this church, and we would go in the old half of the building and be in the basement, and that's where we'd be on Wednesday nights. And I remember being so thankful when 8 o'clock would roll around and we'd get in the car and go home because I just didn't want to be here. And I was so thankful on Sundays dad was home so I didn't have to go to church. But then one day, I was given an invitation by my Wednesday night Bible school teacher to come to church on Sunday. And that simple invitation to give it a try from one person changed the course of my entire life. My life would not be where I am today if it wasn't for her and if it wasn't for Stu and it wasn't for countless other people who have continued to offer me an invitation to step in to what God is calling me towards over and over and over again. Life change, friends, does not happen if we aren't being the hands and feet of Jesus and inviting people continually into this story. Stories of redemption are missed if we aren't reaching our hand out and inviting people in to the radical grace of Jesus. We have to live invitationally. And we have to live in a space where every single person is included. Every person especially the ones I don't like. We talk about disciple-making a lot in student ministry. And I remind that of students a lot. That Jesus died not just for them, but for the person they really don't like at school. And that's the same lesson for us as adults. That Jesus didn't just die for us. He died for everyone. Including the person who gets on our nerves the most. And so let us not be people who exclude. But let us be people who stand in the space of invitation and are willing to let people in to see the window of our lives so that they might see who Jesus is. Because that is the simple call of disciple-making. 
to invite somebody to follow us as we follow Jesus. And we're not going to get it right all the time. We're not going to be perfect at it. We're not going to be great at it. But we can get better at it each and every day if we're just willing to live our lives in a way of invitation, in a way of simply stepping into someone's story. And friends, that's our bottom line for today, is that to live on mission means we have to live invitationally. Luke 19, 8 through 10 says this, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anything to anyone, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus' story is changed. Zacchaeus's life is changed because of Jesus' simple invitation. My guess is your life was changed because at some point, someone in your story stepped in and invited you to be a part of Jesus' story. A pastor, a small group leader, a Bible study teacher, I don't know who it was for you, a parent. But at some point, someone stepped into your story and said, come and be a part and see what Jesus is doing. And so church, let us be people who are standing there and saying, come be a part of what Jesus is doing. Come and see the window of my life, who Jesus is, and how he can radically change everything. Because I don't get this opportunity to share you with this to you today if it wasn't for somebody in a Sunday school or Wednesday night school class teaching me about Jesus and inviting me to church. I don't get this opportunity to be radically sold out for discipleship if someone wasn't willing to teach me what it actually meant to be a disciple maker. why it's so important. Because the gift of Jesus was for everyone. And so we come to this time of communion each week where we are reminded, church, of the bread, which represents the body that was given for us on the cross, given for all of us. Let us take and remember. And we come to the juice, which represents the blood, which forgives a multitude of sins. Let us drink and remember. As we get ready to worship, I don't know your story. I don't know what you brought in to this room today. But for those of you who profess the name of Jesus and been following him for a while, My challenge to you is to live your lives in such a way that everyone gets a seat at the table. To answer this call of disciple-making by inviting others into your story and stepping into their story. But for those of you who still have questions, for those of you who are hurting, for those of you who are wondering, keep asking questions. Seek help. Don't go through this journey alone. There are countless people in this room who would love to walk that journey with you. And you're here today because a man named Jesus is beckoning something in your heart. Listen to that beckoning. Climb up the tree and accept that invitation. Let's pray. Lord,
We're just so thankful that you are a God who sees the, sees the man in the dirt, sees the man in the tree, and invites them to the same story. That same story of forgiveness, of hope, of life change. Lord, we're so incredibly thankful that you're a God who doesn't play favorites, but a God who says everyone gets a seat at my table if they just believe in me. And so, Lord, we call upon your name right now as we enter into worship. Let our lives be marked as people who are invitational disciple makers, showing people what it means to follow you and giving a simple invitation that might change a life. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.